Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 19 Hours Worked. This is Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence delivered straight to your brain through audio waves in seven minutes every Tuesday and Thursday. My name is Thomas Rock Lindsay, and I am your small business ally and employer brainiac, and I'm here to help you thrive in your role as an employer. You're required to pay your non-exempt employees for all time worked. Now that seems easy enough, but there are nuances that you need to know about in order to be compliant. And we'll learn what constitutes hours work today. Let's rock this. In episode 18, I talked about the overtime pay calculation and the three steps in the process, but we skipped talking about step one because it needs its own episode. There's just too much about hours worked to have done it any justice in just a few minutes. Now, if you haven't already listened to episode 18, go back and listen to that one first. You have to pay your employees for all time worked. If your employee is required to be working, or be available to work, or is being permitted to work, either on your premises or at some other location, then you have to pay them for their time spent, even if they're just waiting around for something to happen or someone to do something. Now, there are several circumstances where it may not be so obvious that you have to pay your employees, so let's go over those. Now, the first one is waiting time. If your employees are either engaged to wait or waiting to be engaged, that's what matters. If they're engaged to wait, they have to be paid. If they're waiting to be engaged, they do not have to be paid. So what is the difference between the two? Well, engaged to work, a good example of that is a receptionist who is between calls or between client visits and is reading a book. That's engaged to wait and they need to be paid for that time. Waiting to be engaged, a good example is, say, a truck driver who is between the drop-off of a load and the pickup of a new one, where they're completely relieved of their responsibilities during the four-hour, five-hour, six-hour, whatever the time frame is between the pickup and the drop-off. The trick here is that they are off work, relieved of their duties, and able to go about personal business. So on-call is another situation where if the employee is on your premises and they're just waiting for an assignment, then they have to be paid for that. Now, if they're relieved of their duties, they're able to go home, or they have to leave contact information where they can be reached, then you don't have to pay for that time. Next is meal or rest periods. So while the FLSA doesn't dictate that you have to provide certain rest periods, or meal times, that's sort of left up to state law, they do say that rest periods of 20 minutes or less are customarily paid for as working time. And these short periods are counted as hours worked. Now, any kind of unauthorized extension of an authorized work break doesn't need to be counted. So if the employer has a a clear policy that they've communicated to the employee saying that the break is only a certain period of time, then any extension of that break 
is a violation and it doesn't need to be paid for. Now, meals are typically 30 minutes and they're not compensated unless the employee is still working while they're eating. So if they're eating at their desk and they're still taking phone calls or they're still doing computer work, they're actively engaged while eating and you're permitting that to happen, then they need to be compensated for that time. How about sleeping time? Well, if you employ someone for a long shift, say it has to be less than 24 hours, let's say it's an 18-hour shift and you permit them to sleep or engage in other personal activities when they're not busy, then you have to pay for that time. If, however, you have a 24-hour shift or longer, maybe it's a 48-hour shift, and you provide sleeping hours or a sleeping schedule, and you provide sleeping facilities, and the employee can enjoy an uninterrupted uh, sleep period, then you can deduct up to eight hours for sleeping, but only if they get five hours of sleep or more. How about lectures, meetings, and training programs? Well, attendance at these events isn't required to be compensated if these four criteria are met. It's outside normal hours, it's voluntary, it's not job-related, and no other work is concurrently being performed. If you're missing any one of those elements, then you do have to pay for that time. Next is travel time, and that one can get a little complicated. So here are the different scenarios. Home-to-work travel. Well, that's really kind of called portal-to-portal and just that normal commute, that is not paid time. Now, if you are sent to a one-day assignment, or if you send one of your employees on a one-day assignment in another city, then for an employee who you know works at a normal, regular location, then you have to pay them for the travel time, but you can deduct the amount of time that they would normally spend going from home to their normal place of work. Travel time that's just part of a normal day's work is compensable, but you don't have to pay for travel away from home that is outside of the employee's normal working hours as long as they're not operating the vehicle that is transporting them. So, for example, let's say you have an employee who is traveling on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and they're flying between the hours of 8 and 5. That is compensable. Now, if they're traveling on a weekday or on a weekend and it's outside the normal working hours and they're just a passenger in the vehicle, then they don't have to be paid unless they're doing work while they're traveling. And finally, if the employee is traveling, it doesn't matter when, what time, what day, if they are driving or operating the vehicle, then they have to be paid for that time. Now, if they volunteered, if you had other options available for them, if they decided to drive instead of fly, for example, then they don't have to be paid for that driving time. Unless, of course, that driving time is within normal working hours, even if it's on a day that they would normally be off. Well, there you have it. Let's recap. The FLSA requires you to pay your non-exempt employees for all the hours worked where you suffer or permit work to be done. Now, unfortunately, the act doesn't contain a definition of the word work, so eventually the Supreme Court got involved, and they said that any time spent in physical or mental exertion, whether it's burdensome or not, controlled or required by the employer and pursued necessarily and primarily for the benefit of the employer and his business, that's work. And in another case, the work week was defined to include all the time 
during which the employee is necessarily required to be on the employer's premises, on duty, or at a prescribed workplace. And then finally, in another case, it was established that work not requested but suffered or permitted is work time. So for example, an employee who voluntarily continues to work at the end of the shift, whether it's a computer worker who's you know finishing up some reports, whatever, the reason's irrelevant. If you know or have reason to believe that they're continuing to work, then that's working time. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.